and welcome to Step Up Nigeria's podcast. Our podcast is an initiative built to create awareness of government issues that highlight the cost of corruption and its impact on service delivery. Our podcast is also aimed at promoting values that will help to build a society of people with integrity and provide solutions to service delivery challenges faced by everyday Nigerians. Happy African Anti-Corruption Day 2022. And as people from Africa and who live in Africa and are making efforts to improve service delivery and governance in our countries, are young people the key to achieving zero corruption in Africa? And on this episode, we have special guests from all over Africa, the African Youth Anti-Corruption Ambassadors. So I'd like to start by asking them to introduce themselves. I am Ferami Iyoda, and I am the Youth Anti-Corruption Ambassador for West Africa and the host of this podcast. So I'd like to call on the Youth Ambassador from East Africa to introduce herself. My name is Stella Agara. I'm the uh, anti- Youth Anti-Corruption Ambassador for East Africa, even though I no longer qualified to be called uh, a Youth Ambassador. Um, I am also a governance uh, specialist uh, working on um, anti-corruption, economic issues, tax justice, as well as uh, newly climate uh, justice issues. Um, uh, and uh, I hail from Kenya. Stella, we're glad to have you. Can we have the South Africa Youth Ambassador? Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Shamila Kosi from Botswana. I'm the Youth Ambassador for Southern Africa. Um, and I am also a development practitioner, uh, though not actively uh, full-time on that right now. Um, I'm also just really much consulting on environmental, social and governance issues um, out here in, in Botswana and quite newly in addition to a mine that we are about to open here in Botswana. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and finally, we'd like to introduce the Youth Ambassador for North Africa. Hi everyone, I'm Rasha Hamesi. I'm a North Africa Anti-Corruption Youth Ambassador and I'm from Tunisia. I work for the National Good Governance and Anti-Corruption in Tunisia and um, yes, I'm happy to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you, Rasha. Thank you, Shamil. And thank you, Stella. Welcome to our podcast. All of Africa today, we celebrate African Anti-Corruption Day. Do you think zero corruption is achievable in Africa? And this could just be a yes or no answer if you have something. Um, I'll start with Stella. My thoughts are, my thoughts are that um, zero corruption can be achieved anywhere in the world if uh, the citizens of the jurisdiction are intentional about uh, achieving zero corruption. I say the citizen because um, systems rarely engage in corruption. It is the people involved in managing systems who uh, um, uh, um, you know, create mechanisms to, to either you know, benefit out of a system or, or engage in corruption within, within a system. So it is the individuals who must resolve to, to put an end to corruption and achieve uh, zero tolerance to, to corruption. Um, what the definition of what zero corruption would look like is what then would, would determine uh, uh, what zero corruption is. Uh, and when I say the definition, I mean that they're going to involve uh, acknowledging some of the bribes offered as, as legitimate um, payments so that they're receipted and, and documented as, as ca- cash that needs to be taxed by the state. Or does it mean we go the Puritan way and, and ensure that every single bribe 
is branded as you know corrupt and ensuring that you know rigging of elections all those other practices nepotism and, and the likes of corruption actually branded as as corruption so basically what what we define it as is, is, is what will determine then um, our access to the, the point of zero tolerance for corruption that is definitely achievable so thank you very much, um, Stella, for that introduction to the conversation. I'd like to hear from Marcha next on um, your thoughts on if zero corruption is achievable in Africa. Um, if you think yes, what steps or strategies do you think we need to put in place there? Or if no, you know, what challenges make this unachievable? Okay, so um, my thoughts, I mean, this is like my thoughts, my opinion, and I don't want to sound pessimist or anything. But talking about zero corruption, I don't think that's possible, not only in Africa, I don't think it's possible in any other continent or even in any country. I think we might be talking about, I don't know, maybe uh, corruption that is less than 3 or 5 percent, but I don't think that we're talking about zero, because um, if we're going to be realistic, I mean, it's not that easy to get rid of corruption, and it's not that easy because there's always going to be, um, but I'm agreeing with Stella, it depends also on the definition of corruption. I mean, it depends. But I'm going to say that, uh, I'm going to talk about the corruption that we most know, since we all know there's no specific definition for it, but um, there's always going to be somebody who is bribing an employee or a, an administrator to like have an easy way, someone who's slacking at work, it's stuff like that, even small cases like that. And honestly, um, I don't think it's only not only about that, but I don't I think we're here talking about mentalities as well, because we're not only talking about corruption as a specific case as in something that's small. I think we're talking about um, corrupt cultures, if you can call it that. Um, speaking from, for example, from Tunisia, from my country, um, unfortunately, and I'm sure a lot of you and a lot of other countries are the same, some of us were raised and born in corruption. They don't even see it as something that is wrong. They don't see that it's something that's harming society. On the contrary, they see it like something that's normal, like somehow a smart way of beating a, um, I don't know, a system that they don't like or don't approve of. And that doesn't mean that they are right. But as I said, zero corruption, it's hard, but it's not impossible. But it's very hard. But yeah, I, I think we might be talking about, I don't know, a small percentage of corruption, maybe. Hopefully. Thank you. But let's hear from Shamil before I make my comments. I mean, really, I think from my perspective, um, achieving zero corruption is, it's all dependent on what measures we're willing to employ as, um, you know, as, 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 as a globe to ensuring that, you know, uh, people like that, that to ensure that we don't normalize and it is the case right now that we don't normalize um corruption activities that we don't incentivize you know people who you know uh promote corruption um in in the immediate or in the interim do i think that uh it's 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 it's, it's possible for us to achieve zero corruption um no i do not think so and i'll tell you why this is because 
um, as as a people, we have not yet committed to building a culture of good ethics. You know, mm-hmm. we have not yet you know embraced that as part of our culture. It's something that yeah. we want to basically continue doing. And then on the other hand, we have people who certainly want to get want to want to want to get things done through shortcuts. And remember that with corruption, it's a two-way street, right? Where there's somebody else willing to make an offer, there's another person who is actually willing to receive that offer. And uh, all that is, an, is a question of ethics and principles. Are we as a people saying that we are willing, we're willing to embrace, you know, ethical conduct, that we're willing to embrace principles, good principles, to ensure that at the point where you are offered corruption or where you are offered an incentive to do something that you know that, you know, it's not supposed to be done. Uh, are you in a position to basically stand your ground? Um, and are you willing to also, when you see that happening, are you willing to correct that? And then I think it goes back to an issue of seller. I mean, uh, the issue that seller raised as well to say that, um, you know, in dealing with corruption, really, the system is not the problem. The problem is people who are willing and who are so hell-bound to making sure that they beat the system to benefit off of the system. And I think also really that, you know, encompasses of behavioral conduct as, as a people. It encompasses principles, as I said. I've just recently been introduced to uh, Ray Dalio. He's, a, he's an author and he uh, he writes on principles. He's he written a book uh, called Principles. I really highly recommend that uh, for any management, for any individuals, either at grassroots or any level of, of, of management to read that book and really to pick up some of the principles and embrace those and start running with them. I think only when we are willing to actually, you know, attain and, and, and build really a culture of, you know, principles and a culture of integrity and ethics. That's when we can only be able to actually fight, uh, fight corruption. Do I think it's, um, it's possible in our generation? Possibly no, because uh, a culture of principles and ethics is something that has to be systematic as well. We have to teach that to our children right now while they are in primary school so that they grow up with this ethics and they learn to embrace this ethics and they build a culture around the particular ethics that we're willing to teach them. And then also, on the other hand, I think um, there's, a, there's, a big, uh, there's a big mismatch or a gap, really, between information or knowledge, really, around corruption. Many people don't even know what corruption is. I mean, giving a bribe to someone in order for you to fast track the line and to get whatever it is that you want, to most people is an issue of convenience, right? So that in them, they don't see it as them doing something wrong. They're seeing it as just fast tracking the, uh, you know, their opportunity to make sure that, you know, they save time on that and that it's, it's, it's somewhat convenient for them. And then again, you have people who basically, you know, uh, act on corrupting or or engaging in in, in corruption activities. And they know that what they're doing is really wrong. And most of this really cognizant behavior, we see it in people who are mainly involved with like grand corruption, where, you know, you're a government officer, you know, you're not supposed to be, you know, taking a huge chunk of project money into your own pocket or basically asking service providers to give you a huge chunk of, of, of that implementing money to make sure that you know you're, you're you're safe 
in order for you to give them licensing or anything like that. Those people, however, they know what they're doing. But corruption, as it pertains to grassroots, as it pertains to the masses, I think many people really don't even understand uh, what that is because it's for them, it's just a matter of making sure that you know they, they are not inconvenienced in any way possible. And I think it will be also important that we... Um, Perhaps in our education, in our in our strives to making sure that we raise awareness around corruption, that we somewhat make it relatable to people how you know you know impacts of corruption in our day-to-day lives, how it inconveniences us and why we should not tolerate it. And until we reach such levels where people really understand corruption in its many and different, you know, in different uh you know uh, definitions, how do we implore you know, you know, anti-corruption and zero corruption principles in people to be able to call out for that. And there are security issues as well that are really concerned uh, when it comes to corruption to say, you know, as you are willing to be the good guy, the guy who basically, you know, shuns corruption and all, you know, in, in, in all its ways, uh, how safe are you among a society that sees it feet and that sees it normal for somebody to pay to pay bribery for a license, uh, or to pay to pay bribery for school uh, school results or anything like that, people these days are willing to kill in order for them to you know to get their way. So I think uh, that'll be my my two cents really um, in this round. Yeah. Thank you, Shamil. More more like twenty cents, but that's fine. Um, I think you made some very uh, very excellent comments, um, and I I. I I agree with all that you've all said because it really is a yes and no question because yes, it's possible, but there are certain things that need to be in place for that to happen. And yes. for those, that to happen, there needs to be like an overhaul of society, which leads to like the way I refine the question. Do we think that youth or young people are the key to achieving this era of corruption? So as it stands, I mean... We've mentioned both on the grand corruption level and on the petty corruption level. There's a generation of Africans that do not see um, bribery and embezzlement and fraud as something that's wrong. Um, and in my country particularly, which all of you are very aware of, there's also a rise in cybercrime amongst young people. So do we think that youth are the key to achieving this? Um, and I want to know if yes... What steps or strategies do you think the youth need to put in place to ensure that their countries um, have reduced corruption by the time that they're older? Or if no, you know, what what makes that unattainable amongst young people as well? So, And I know you've touched on this, especially on like the values-based education angle, which is something that we, I would love for all of us to speak a bit more on throughout the call. Um, so let me start with um, Racha on this round. Do you think youth are the key to achieving this? I said yes, definitely. I think actually youth are the answer to this question, like without without even thinking that it's not possible for them or that they can't achieve it. No, they are the ones that can achieve it. Um, and that is, um, I don't know if you can elaborate more. This is not the yes or no. Yeah, okay. Um, as Stella said, it's about principles. How can we do that? Definitely um, install and implement uh, good governance and anti-corruption subjects in, in primary school and in the education system as whole. Actually, um, it's, I've worked on a project like this and I'm like proud to say that not only I worked on two levels, 
I worked on the primary school and it was such a great experience for me and for the students. We went to their schools, elaborated the risks of corruption, um, talked about them, about mostly about governance, because as young kids, we didn't really want to talk about the negative thing, corruption, but we talked about the good thing, which is governance. And we taught them that it's necessary and that we can achieve um, free, not free, but we can beat corruption through using governance. And um, honestly, it was a good experience. And mainly it wasn't only like to, to uh, affect kids there or students, primary school and high school students. It was also a way for us to make the system or the government think about adding governance subject to the to the educational system. And at one at one time it was successful because as I said, not only did we work with primary school, we also worked with university students and it was a success that they added a good governance and anti-corruption masters in the law university now. Yeah, we have a master that's for good governance and anti-corruption. Which is, as I said, youth are the, uh, the answer. They manage, I think, that, yes, that's it. Youth are the answer to beat corruption. Thank you. Thank you, Asha. Um, so let's go to Stella. My main response uh, concerning um, what would be the panacea for corruption is normally uh, making corruption expensive, make it extremely costly for people to engage in corruption. But uh, if I was asked the question of which part of society would, would actually play the biggest role in, in promoting zero tolerance to corruption, then I guess it helps to, to acknowledge the fact that uh, we need to start with people who haven't had extreme exposure to corruption. So this is one of those areas or this is one of those aspects of life where youth and, and, and um, should I call it innocence for lack of a, of a better word to describe people who haven't been fully corrupted, uh, affirms their, their capability and capacity to be the, the the stewards for for zero tolerance in our society, by virtue of the fact that they haven't interacted with corruption fully and benefited heavily from it, they may still uh, have some room to be, you know, modeled into the kind of people who wouldn't tolerate uh, corruption in our societies. But this is going to be heavily determined by uh, the the stance that they will take. Are we dealing with young people who have already given up on the fight against corruption? Young people who believe it is impossible to end corruption? Are we dealing with young people who have understood um, matters of integrity and have chosen deliberately to act against uh, 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 corruption? Or are we dealing with young people who have already started benefiting slightly from corruption and think it needs to be legitimized? And in, in, in addressing this matter with them, I think we also need to have certain conversations. Uh, conversations about good governance, conversations about working systems, because uh, the situations that you hear being described by Shamil and, 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 and Russia, even by you, Farhan me, are situations where there's poor governance and therefore young people or citizens are found ways to get around uh, uh, the, 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 the poor governance and get what they need. But if, if we are to imagine with the youth a, a, a society where the governance systems work, 
In countries where when you apply for a passport, you just need to wait for a certain stipulated amount of time to get your passport, nobody bothers to bribe. In countries where jobs are accessible to anybody who's qualified, people just go to school, achieve their qualifications and apply for jobs. And they get access to them without needing to canvas, needing to call anybody, needing to maneuver to be able to access those jobs. So uh, recognizing corruption as a failure of governance and as as an absolute failure of governance would then allow um, our societies to, to nurture young people who are interested in promoting zero, zero uh, to- tolerance to corruption. The reason why uh, um, corruption continues in perpetuity, and, and Russia was saying she was born into corruption, we were all born into uh, corruption. The reason why it continues in perpetuity is because the problems of governance continue also in perpetuity. Um, uh, I have never, I think I've seen just one clean election ever since I started voting in Kenya. And, and probably that's because we were all getting rid of our, our, our first-time dictator like every other country in Africa. And from that time, I have never, ever seen a clean election. If, our country, if my country committed to a clean election, we would have the kind of quiet elections that we see happening, you know, across the borders in Europe where an election happens, an announcement is made and no drama, you know. But because we have committed ourselves to refuse to... to, to, to we normally say we have refused to count, but to refuse to to have integrity in the handling of the vote, then everybody keeps preparing new ways of engaging in corruption. Many of them actually work with young people because young people have um, knowledge on 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 ICTs to to manipulate the system and and ensure that then the vote works for them. If this was not happening, young people would be using their ICT knowledge for something more useful than they are already doing in, in, in certain aspects of our society. So for me, it's about asking ourselves how we will engage young people in a, in, in a critical conversation about how to improve governance in the globe. And in improving governance, we're then going to eliminate uh, corruption. And where some of these convenience fees need to be included so that other people may benefit then structure it in a manner that does not create, you know, uh, inequality. Uh, the U.S. and the U.K. embassy, for me, you would know because it's happening in Nigeria as well, uh, has a mechanism for applying for visa. And everybody gets to apply for visa and, and wait a certain amount of time. However, if you want preferential services, you then get to pay an extra fee, which will accord you uh, preferred treatment in terms of, 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 of positioning for interviews, uh, will afford you preferred treatment in terms of, of, of uh, you know, how you're received when you arrive at the embassy. You don't get to queue with the rest of, of, of the hustlers. And when you arrive, probably it will afford you a cup of tea and everything. And it will afford you a speedy response. That amount of money is resetted. The state knows it has been collected. The U.S. embassy knows it has been collected. And it is uh, packaged as part of, of the resources or revenue collected out of of, of visa, you know, application processes. This automatically removes the corruption aspect from it. Obviously, there's another level of corruption that is happening with that. But then this removes um, uh, the corruption component out of it. It removes the bribery component out of it and legitimizes a practice and collection of revenue that then, of course, causes the amount of money that would have otherwise been used as a bribe to be documented as revenue collected for the state of for the company, if you may. So for me, we must answer those critical questions of how we are going to get it done 
And once we answer that question, how are we going to involve young people in thinking through the places, spaces, the lacuna in our society that allows for corruption? And how do we cover those areas? By one, improving the quality of governance, ensuring that there's participation of citizens in governance so that they give responses on how best it should work. And then positioning young people whose minds haven't been corrupted to participate in creating that system that promotes zero tolerance. I am extremely optimistic about the possibility of working with young people to, to get this to work. But it would definitely require a, a higher level punishment of corruption for those who are already, you know, already have their fingers deep in the pie of corruption to stop engaging yeah. in corruption. For as long as it's still affordable, for as long as they can still bribe uh, yeah. lawyers and the courts, this may, may never uh, stop. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Stella. Um, I've taken notes of a couple of things that I'll still ask on um, later, but let's let's hear from Shamil. Uh, yes, after, uh, I mean, certainly I agree with uh, what Stella just said. I'm optimistic that young people actually are the solution to achieving zero corruption. And I say this because, you know, in modern day, it's very easy for you to put in you know, uh, for example, in financial controls, you know, it's very possible for us to actually achieve maximum financial control to make sure that people don't take advantage of the system, uh, you know, to either con conduct corrupt activities or to basically steal from various organizations, could be private, could be public. And then also on that, I think young people's, you know, technological know-how, we can leverage that to make sure that we basically you know, uh, attain zero corruption. And young people are quite best on technologies, as Stella has mentioned. And I think that is our, you know, that is our cue now to make sure that we now roll on the ball and start basically implementing and putting in this checks and balances uh, through technology uh, to, sorry, through technology to make sure that, you know, we fight corruption. Is my camera back on there now? Yes, thank you. Oh, hi. <laughs> yes, I had to make sure that you see me. <laughs> yes. And then also on that, um, I think social media, somehow we are underrating it as an advocacy tool. And really, yeah. as you know, as, as, as measures and policies are becoming even more stringent for people to take conversations to the streets in terms of, you know, protests and all that, social media now becomes our modern protest tool. And that is where young people are. I love the fact that young people today, uh, because they stand the most to lose in corrupt activities, like corruption, whatever's happening, if you know, our, our finances are being siphoned away uh, from our courses, from development, and are taken away to personal, uh, you know, personal uh, missions and whatnot for, uh, for, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the leadership. You often see young people taking those conversations to social media and basically breaking them down and calling out people, you know. And I think then what what we need to do as young people is to actually now start making sure that we, we have more of these conversations, more of this, uh, you know, more of this, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, showcasing of what is being done in various countries and how young people are basically helping to fight you know the corruption uh the corruption fight and in that i think young people more so we need to start now somewhat incentivizing you know uh you know good behavior good governance uh, because i think what is actually missing in this whole um 
And the whole conversation is we have so many examples of bad bad people. We have everywhere you look is like such and such is bad, is a corrupt man and all that. To a point now it looks like a tagline, like that they're not bothered at all. So it proves to us that basically, you know, calling on the wrong people, calling on people who are who are doing uh, corruption, corrupt activities who are corrupt, it doesn't basically deter them from continuing what they're doing. Because, I mean, the justice system is not doing anything about it. But then, what is missing is the good examples. Where are the good examples? Where are the people that we're seeing that are fighting corruption, that are principled, that are living by those principles and actually, you know, have lost? Where are the people that have lost jobs? Where are the people that have basically lost opportunities because they couldn't stand for the wrong thing? Where are they? You know, and I think that we need to now start incentivizing good governance. And that is an example that we need to set for young people. It starts first by celebrating talent, talent for young people, young people that are talented. We need to celebrate them so that they don't have to find other means to get into the system. And then again, on top of that, we need to now start incentivizing those people who have been at the, at the lower levels because they're the good ones. And I think uh, this is, there's so many levels to this conversation, particularly when it concerns public service. Um, because with public service and corruption, it's like, you know, you, it's, it's, you really can't tell the difference between the two these days. It's like, basically, when you're saying, you know, public service, AKA corruption, because uh, people there are so unbothered about who's paying what bribery to get what product, uh, pro- project and all that. And therefore, now you find that the people that actually are somewhat our hopes to, uh, to correcting this madness, they're the ones that are now being silenced, they're the ones that are not even being incentivized, they're the ones that are suffering, basically. You find someone has been in that position for 20 years and they can't move an inch because people know that this one is a good person. So because everyone is bad, they don't want the good one basically mixing. So I think what we need to do is just to have that structural overhaul and make sure that we start incentivizing good governance. And then I think uh, also on, on that, um, there's, there's an aspect in terms of, you know, why we're seeing a rise in corruption, even particularly seeing young people being, being actually accessories uh, to, to corruption. Um, and it has to do with economic, you know, the economic situation. How do we, amidst all this economic situation, how do we deter young people from taking part and being accessories in, in, in corrupt activities? How do we, when a young person is being offered $1,000, how do we ask that young person to not help that person to steal votes? How do we make sure that you know, they have bread on that table while doing the good thing? And I think that's, that's where now the, 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 the conversation gets really um, complex because another person from the individual perspective, they're looking at, man, my child is dying, they're hungry. And a politician is taking advantage of that because they're saying, you know what, I have $1,000 for you. You just need to make sure that this many votes, and to them it looks like small. And then looking at the benefit, they're thinking it's something big. How do we now work around this economic situation while still at the same time trying to incentivize and to ask young people to help in the fight against corruption? You know, and I think uh, that's that's where most people are when when it comes to apathy and all that. People are like, you know what, at the end of the day, the fight looks much more bigger than an individual. 
how is it that I can be basically, a, you know, a goat for the slaughter when people are continuing eating, you know? So I, I think that's, that's a very interesting conversation that I would like to see the balance between incentivizing young people being accessory to corruption and them now being incentivized to take a stance on, you know, good governance, on good principles and a culture of integrity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you, Stella. Um, thank you, Asha. Thank you so much. Um, you ladies are brilliant and you've, you know, proposed a lot of brilliant examples. And I hope that, you know, our governance partners internationally who listen to this podcast are picking up on some of the things that you said. Um, especially around the social norms angle, what we do at Step Up Nigeria as well, I think 80% of our work is focused on young people. And so um, we're targeting primary schools, secondary schools. Um, and like you said, the formative years of a child's life are where the child builds what values they think are most important for them. And so I think Africa really needs to take anti-corruption education more seriously. I mean, it should be something that is institutionalized in all the schools. So that those who, like you said, are yet to, I mean, everybody experiences corruption. We see the poor electricity and the road network and all of the lack of social amenities, but they are yet to be corrupted in that sense. And so they are the ones I think Africa needs to focus on in modes because it's a generation that we cannot change any longer. Um, but like you've all said, there's also an apathy amongst young people. Um, I think Stella also mentioned this, you know, people have given up on the system things will never change, we can't beat them, join them mentality. But I think we have to also remind young people that we all have a desire for the kind of country we want to live in. And if we want to build that country, that vision, that dream that we have, then we have to start today. We can't just give up and say, um, I mean, people all travel out of their countries, but not everyone can run away, which is what we always say in Nigeria. So we, we have to stay and build the nation that we live in. Um, and I definitely agree with you guys that sanctions are so important because um, if what we've taught young people over a couple of years is that um, young people can, well, older people can steal money from the government, they can embezzle large funds, and there's no consequences. No one ends up in prison, um, no one is really sanctioned. Then we're telling the younger generation that stealing is okay, um, that fraud is okay, and that they can do these things and get away with them um, without any sanctions. And so um definitely like you've all said i think it's it's back to the question around collective action so we need the systems we need sanctions we need to change the social norms we need improved governance and um, like shamil said the economy also needs to be in a place where people um are not forced to receive bribes because you know they're hungry and there's no food on their table and we definitely need to you know provide more good role modeling for young people we need leaders that we can point them to to say this person has integrity. Like you said, this person has made this and this sacrifice in their career to ensure that their integrity is not lost. And I think those are people we need to exemplify for young people, even in schools, as these topics are being taught. So collective action really is what I'm hearing. Um, We've caught this episode short so that you can enjoy listening to the part two on a separate episode. This was part one of our interview with African Youth Anti-Corruption Ambassadors. We hope you enjoyed it and that you would listen to part two. Listen to part two next now on all podcasting platforms at Step Up Nigeria. Thank you.